0: What's up everybody? I'm Mike Wilson with Any Hour Services and we're proud to help bring you this podcast. If you ever need a resource for information about your home's electrical, plumbing, heating or air conditioning system, you can find Any Hour Services on Facebook, YouTube or online at anyhourservices.com. At Farmers Insurance, we have concrete evidence that parking under an industrial cement mixer that's just asking for trouble. Seen it, covered it. Click for more. We are Farmers. Bum,
1: bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by farmers, truck, fire insurance, exchanges, and affiliates. Products not available in every state.
0: Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson. Today on the show, we've got part two with Jeff Kavanaugh.
1: If you can truly understand what value is and not just what you're pushing, if you get on the other side of the desk with somebody and say, you know, what is it that's extremely valuable to them and be the best in your market at serving that need, you'll be okay.
0: This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview pro athletes, world-class musicians, CEOs, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. Before we get rolling, I want to invite you to get involved with Child Rescue, the charity our founder started. To learn more about them, just come to our website, iCollective.co, and check on the Child Rescue tab on our menu. Also, I want to talk to you about one of our show's sponsors. I met these guys back on Episode 6. CEO Zach Smith was telling me all about starting a skateboard company and how much he hated doing the bookkeeping uh, for a skateboard shop and how he really... Uh, got led to start this business, Bookly, that's a hybrid combining bookkeeping software and human services. And I'll tell you why I let them become a sponsor, it's because I use their service now. I don't love paying 50 bucks an hour for bookkeepers to do stuff that I know software could do way, way cheaper, but uh, I don't love bookkeeping at all, so I want a real live human who knows what they're talking about to help me with the stuff I don't understand. Uh, probably the straw that broke the camel's back for me, though. The thing that put me over the top was that they could do my taxes and payroll also. Um, so, totally suggest checking them out. Go to their website, bookly.co, and check out their flat rates. I've been super happy with them. So, now on to today's episode. Uh, Jeff, when we were finishing off the last episode, and anybody who, who hasn't heard the first episode, uh, please go back and listen, um, hear about Jeff's work at Infosys and Teaching at uh, University of Texas Dallas campus, um, but you've be- become a blogger now with uh, Um Has that been a fun experience for you? or How have you found that?
1: It's a labor of love. Uh, I, I, I like writing. Uh, I like converting or pulling out what's in the brain and, and onto the, the paper or the screen. Uh, I got into it a few years ago. Uh, I've met, if uh, you know, Tim Ferriss the four hour work week and uh, we went to an event that he held out in the the wine country and uh, met another one hundred and thirty or so very interesting creative entrepreneurial folks That's probably the only corporate person among them and it it really triggered um, a lot of ideas uh, about getting the word out uh, and about communicating and in their case, I think it was more about writing books and selling online courses and and doing a lot of media, but I wanted to apply it to consulting. And so began to blog also because we were recruiting, and to be blunt, I didn't like what our internal uh, materials had, so I wanted to give all of our prospective candidates a another way to click on, search online and see what our company was about and what we thought about. And it's 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 a lot of fun. More importantly, I think it's it's a learning experience because we all think we use 10% of our brain or 15 whatever the percentage is. It isn't until you start reaching in and just pulling things out and organizing them, that you're just blown away because there's just a lot in there, especially if you've been around for a while, that was sitting below that, that conscious memory. So I've enjoyed it because it's a chance to access uh, information and experiences that uh, haven't thought about in a while. It's also a way to reach more people because I've, I've done a lot of training one-on-one, in front of, front of rooms, uh, and out to the university. And I would like to have a longer lever because as people have, have questions about something, I would love to be able to point them, whether it's free online or eventually maybe bound up in in, in a book or some kind of work, workbook. Uh, so it's a great experience. It's a challenge not having as much time as I would like. But at the same time, I think constraints really drive innovation because it forces you to prioritize. It also forces you to, to, to draw out the good stuff like a crucible. So I like it a lot. And, uh, seeing, or uh, listening to podcasts like yours also just reinforce the point that there's so much good out there and I want to contribute to it.
0: Yeah. You know, Tim Ferriss certainly has become really effective at, at getting, you know, getting a tribe built. And, uh, what do you feel like was maybe one of the most effective things or more effective things that, that you learned at that event or that you were impressed with by him or anything?
1: that the unifying characteristic of a tribe or a group of people or just people that want to hang together and discuss things doesn't have to be their sex, their age, their demographic, their millennial, they're they're a boomer, they're in the US, they're in someplace else. It can be this this intellectual curiosity. It can be this 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 embracing of what's coming, what's new, and it's, it's, it's really interesting. Uh, the thing I give him the most credit for for, for, for that event uh, was that he was able to, to find the people out there, bring them in, uh, or, uh, and get them to, to, to want to, to come in and and curate this. I'll use that word, curate this uh, event where we were pressured a little bit. You know, There were things going on. There wasn't lots of free time to go off and wander in a corner and catch up on email. We were just together for a day or two. And I try every, every – at least every other year, try for every year. To, to do something. One year it was I got my black belt in Six Sigma, you know, and then that's the black belt. And then another year, it was, it was actually one year it was a Tufty seminar. And that year it was uh, going to that conference because I felt like I was missing the boat a little bit with, with digital marketing. And I thought this, this, this person is very effective. That's what I thought I was getting into. The real benefit has been uh, a series of friends all around the world and a community that although we're all different shapes and sizes, like I said, I'm one of the few corporate people, if any, uh, just that there's other things in common. And it's really been a uh, it's been a great ride and really enjoy having these people as friends. So I think his ability to tap into different characteristics, you know, not everyone's the same, but uh, I think that's important. If someone does want to develop a following or a community is it's not be narrow, but tap into something that's a common cord.
0: Yeah. You know, um, going back to something that you talked about in part one when you were talking about the four different languages that you feel like um, consultants should be learning, thinking about the first one there, the language of senior executives of of revenue and costs and return on assets – um, when you think about an organization like Infosys, you know there's there's so many thousands of consultants across this country, and there's so few organizations that have risen to that level. You know, a market cap in the mid thirty billion dollar range, this um, really large revenue. You know, nine ten billion dollar a year revenue. What do you think it is um, that's so different about a consulting firm like an Infosys or a McKinsey versus you know so many of the so many of the others that that never reach that kind of scale?
1: Well put. It's a good question. One of the reasons why I'm still at Infosys and uh, enjoying the ride after almost 12 years is that you know, when I joined, it was about a billion, and now we're about 10. We were, I think, 40,000 people. Now an we're near 200,000. So it's crazy numbers. And zero in consulting, and now you know a few thousand. I think values. Uh, we all have our ups and downs. You know, good days and bad days. But I think the values, uh, the foundation, uh, is a good backdrop or, or, or backbone for it. Uh, a lot of good being done. You know, just a sheer number—a million hot meals a day being served in India. Sixty thousand libraries refurbished, uh, helping young uh, minority uh, girls in, in Harlem go through stem cell—not stem cell—stem <laughs> training uh, and, and funding them and helping them go through high school and college. A lot of very specific things that we're trying to do to make an impact: retraining uh, unemployed auto workers in Wayne County near Detroit with IT skills to go get jobs. So, and then recently, the makers movement. Uh, working with the White House for Makers Awards, so that uh, people can get funding and grants to go make things. And of course, Girls Who Code, Hispanic Heritage Foundation, a lot of those types of things. Hour of Code. So that's one of the things I, I find good as well because those are all things that I find very positive. And rather than me going out in my own personal life and finding them, I'm able to tap into them. I think the other is that uh, it's very it's well run uh, financially, and I think that's a por- that's a point that's lost sometimes on folks. You can go follow your passion. You can go have a good time. In the end, to use that Tim Ferriss quote about having a muse, something that, that creates the cash flow or the, the income, I think it's important that you have that. Because if you aren't economically strong, then you can't do all those good things and you can't grow and you can't pay your people and grow. And I think there are times when companies forget that. So it's boring. It's called, I call it having the adult in the room. <laughs> but making sure that you have that allows everything else good to happen. And I think uh, the other part… You mentioned McKenzie, I think brand uh, is having a strong brand and reinforcing that brand. And brand isn't always a flashy thing. It's it's reinforcing that point. Just like McKenzie doesn't have a lot of clients, but they're very senior uh, in, in management consulting. You know, we sometimes compete with them, but for the most part, it's it's very much complementary. They do the more strategic consulting, and we do more operational. Uh, and then. A lot of our brand also is we, we have less than a thousand clients, and yet we have a lot of them have sh- very large relationships with us because over the years we've reinforced that trust and delivered and, and grown. So I think brand taking care of a business, making sure you're economically strong, and then having some other aspects, the foundations and the firm building aspects that make people feel that the genie's still in the bottle, that it's a good place, and even on the days that things aren't perfect, there's a good moral compass behind there somewhere.
0: You know, there's so much skepticism these days about the moral compass of larger organizations, isn't there? Mm-hmm.
1: There is, and I think what's 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 uh, reassuring to me. I've met with and, and know senior executives at some of the companies, and of course, uh, between you know the founder, literally of Infosys, uh, and 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 others, and I can tell you the things they lose sleep over. They're the things you want them to lose sleep over. Again, these are the people. I guess I'm, I'm I've been associated with. They're good folks. Uh, and they I, – I can emphasis this case have, have, have contributed a ton of, of money and resources to, to, to lifting people's lives and even some of our clients. Uh, it's amazing the amount of good things they do, uh, the charities. And it isn't just for window dressing. The people get excited about them. They volunteer and they really plunge in. So I do believe there, there is, if you're not evil in the world, at least people doing some bad things. At the same time, don't don't toss the baby out with the bathwater, as the old cliche goes. Just it's a uh, these are data points. And I think also in a world where we have all this information coming at us and what we get depends on who we follow on Twitter or, or which, which feeds we get, uh, I think it's important to force yourself to get a variety of inputs. So if you're fairly conservative, get, get a very liberal view. If you're more progressively minded or, or whatever else it is, Get a very conservative view because if nothing else, it'll give you more data points. And I think that's that's also a problem when people only have one, and then you might develop that skeptical attitude. Sure, there's bad out there, but there's also a lot of good out there as well. And as far as I'm concerned, life's too short not to have a cup of a latitude. If there's two drops in that cup, you and it's overflowing. Might as well be because I think a lot of what you do is what you psychologically decide for yourself. Anyway,
0: sure. Um- you know, thinking about, um, the other thing you brought up there about the financial driver, you know, I don't think anybody necessarily sets out to be an unprofitable business, right. But, uh, but there is certainly favoritism where people want to do what they want to do. And maybe they don't want to take care of some other aspects of it. As you've, you know, had so many different clients over the years. Um, what, what kind of advice do you have on that? Besides, I mean, the idea of, you know, make money, (laughs) that's great, but what, but what advice do you have about going about it? Somebody who feels like they're doing okay on a couple of these things, but they need to do better on, on the financial driver for their consulting
1: practice or whatever. Are you talking about our clients that are out there like a manufacturing company or are you talking about us as a consulting organization?
0: No. Uh, yeah. I'm saying, you know, you think about how many consulting organizations don't reach the scale of a mm-hmm. BCG or a Bain or a McKinsey or a Infosys mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, and you were talking about this critical element of the thing's got to be well-run financially. What's an example of something you think people may not be doing that they that they need to do to run it financially? Are they not tracking enough? are they I head think it's down a combination?
1: I mean, if you go back to Porter's uh, rules for strategic principles of differentiation and the operational excellence. The op excellence piece is not always exciting, but it's but it's it's effective. Are you as efficient and productive as possible in a world of consulting and services? Are your people utilized? Are you are you making sure that you, you take care of the the, uh, the rows and columns in your business? It's not always fun, and if you're out there with your clients, it's easy to let some things slip. But a few percentage points here and there, and that robs you of your ability maybe to invest more. That's one aspect. So take care of the operational excellence piece because that's fuel for growth. And there are only two or three. It's not a complex business. It's what you pay your people, it's the rates you charge, it's how utilized people are, and what kind of leverage ratios you have. You know how many junior people versus senior people. And then there's some other non-linear models as we're doing now, uh, based upon results and value delivered and things like that. Um, the other is make sure that your offerings are, are positioned correctly. And I think if you rest on your laurels and you keep looking backward, that's a real issue. And I, I give our, our company a lot of credit in one dimension where Dr. Sika said, you know what? We're going to go off into automation and to artificial intelligence. That's We did that several years ago, uh, and we've made a lot of progress. And in people-intensive businesses, of which some divisions of emphasis are – It's going to hurt sales, but it's something that's important. It's where the market's going, and if we don't cannibalize a little bit of our own sales, somebody else sure is the heck will. And so, I think it's the ability to look at your portfolio based on what today, what's happening today, but also what's what's coming. You know, where will you make your money in the future? That's classic strategy, but a lot of folks don't do it because you're right; they see what's in front of them, and it's easier to react than to be proactive.
0: Certainly more comfortable, right? Not not having a change.
1: Yeah, and the other thing I would say is have an attitude towards value because if you can truly understand what value is and not just what you're pushing, if you get on the other side of the desk with somebody and say, you know, what is it that's extremely valuable to them and be the best in your market at serving that need, you'll be okay. But if you're saying I've got X number of widgets or people or services or offerings and I'm going to push that into a market and figure out the tricks to sell them, get eyeballs to look at my website – have meetings, negotiation tricks to charge as much as I can, then maybe you'll it'll work in the short term. But that's no recipe for longer term. And you talk about McKinsey, you talk about, I think we've been able to do with some other companies. I think that's, that's a really important point. Have a have an understanding of what value is, and, and that can be your, your compass as well.
0: That's great. Great advice. Um, shifting gears a little bit, um, we always like to ask guests for our charity, Child Rescue, Trying to Prevent Child Trafficking, uh, what kind of advice would you have about getting more people involved in a cause like that? What would you what would you do if you were us?
1: Well, I think making it personal or making it relevant to them on a personal level. I think Mother Teresa of Calcutta said, and Saint Teresa now of Calcutta said that don't show them the masses. Show them the one. You know, make it personal on a human level. So if you can highlight stories from people that, who you helped, the name of a young girl, uh, maybe a story afterwards, she's raising a family now or she's doing something else, I think that brings it to life. Um, I also think breaking it down rather than saying – I think in our discussion before, you would mentioned you want to build have a new building that would allow you to take like 20 young girls, for example, then a Cusco, I think it was you mentioned. Rather than saying it costs – I'm picking a number here – $50,000 for a new building. Uh, you could say, you know, it takes per child, per month, per day. You could almost say, you know what? For a quarter a day, this girl has freedom. And so if you break it down, then people say, well, gosh, I could deal with a latte you know, less a day. Or, or I think if you break it down, one, you make it personal. And the other that you break down the economics so they become something equivalent to almost a throwaway. You know, surely you could do this, something like that. I think those are two things that uh, come to mind.
0: Yeah, shrink the change, huh? Mm-hmm. That's great advice. Thanks for that. Um, it, it is interesting the uh, how often in this space the the initial thought is, well, we got to tell people how bad the problem is everywhere, and you know, talk about how many kids around the world, and it doesn't, it really doesn't incite action. You know, it's it gets to the, uh, you know, it goes to the. Neocortex part of the thinking logical brain but not the emotional decision-making side, right?
1: Well, you you get numb and the – for for me anyway, when I hear about a massive disaster or a massively large problem, uh, while there might be a general sense of vague or dread or or, or emotion, my problem-solving mechanism doesn't kick in because it's overwhelmed. If you reduce it, or maybe you make a broad statement, but then you reduce it, then you could say, Oh, okay, how would you solve it for that person? Or for again, I think you just make it on a human scale, and that's that's more actionable.
0: Yeah, that's great. Um, Another one of our questions we like to ask is uh, if there was anyone early in life or early in your career that you feel like set an example for you of how to treat others.
1: Might be a cliche, but uh, my mother, for sure, uh, she has been phenomenal about being someone who shows both uh, just kindness and and understanding and patience, uh, as well as being uh, tough. You know, being very very strong, strong a uh, faith and uh, strong strong in action. And I think that combination you don't often find. You might find very nice people who are pushovers, or you might find hard nosed people who you respect their resolve, but. A little bit too too gruff around the edges, and I think she uh, she handled that balance very well. I think my father was very good with the um, with with this doing things more for example, other words, setting the example and not necessarily talking a lot about it. Not wanting to publicize when good things are done, and so I think that's maybe that's a secondary yes for one, but I'll give you two. He yeah. was very good at doing a lot, but just doing it quietly. And it wasn't until he actually passed away a few years ago where. Thousands of people came out of the woodwork, <laughs> literally, and and it was just it was just incredible, the number of people, whether it's from the garden, the people that got the, the groceries or the the produce, or the free coaching he would give even after he retired from coaching, or the prayer groups, or or building a, a retail store for the Goodwill or whatever it was, so people could you know have that uh, nonprofit selling. Like I said, just just example after example after example, and so I think those two things have made a big impact.
0: That's awesome. Um, well, even if it's cliche, I think it's one of the most powerful relationships that's ever existed. Is that parent-child example setting right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, listen. Any other parting advice? What What, what advice would you uh, would you leave with?
1: I think the biggest thing is to feed your intellectual curiosity. Uh, because ultimately nothing gets done unless you take action. And so reading a lot, practicing thinking – hate to use that word, practicing thinking, but, but just like practicing this design thinking, all those happen when you take action and when you apply a consultative mindset to whatever problem it is. And that's one of the reasons why I'm trying to codify and, and get, share a lot of this, this, this knowledge uh, is because I believe that these skills are are very – probably even more helpful now than ever as we have all this um, technology coming at us, and we're not – we're no longer starving for data. We're drowning in it. So how do you sort through it? So I think the – IT's the word advice because it's like I'm the expert. Uh, I think it's just more a, a very interested observer and practitioner over the years. I believe that practicing and having a genuine curiosity and a love of learning and that learnability is the, is, the, is the golden ticket. It's the thing that will get us through whatever's coming our way because if we can learn it, we can overcome it. So that's what I would say.
0: Love it. That's great advice. Um, well, thanks for making time for us today and uh, everybody should go to jeffkavanoff.net. Thanks again. That was part two of our interview. If you missed part one, please go back an episode and download the episode before this one for the first half of the interview. As always, please check iCollective.co for show notes of things referenced during the interview and to learn more about our guest. And if you're interested, we'd love to have you learn more about the charity Child Rescue. Go to the menu page on iCollective and click on Child Rescue. Thanks so much. At Farmers Insurance, we know the sound of a perfect hot air balloon landing, and a less than perfect one. Farmers!
1: Seen it, covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance Exchange and affiliates. Products not available in every state.